Hi, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys in Search of an Argument. My name is John Heinz. Today, we're doing one of our uh, famous four time zone pods. We're recording with Jim Gentili in Silver Spring, Maryland, with Shelly Cumming in Indianapolis. We don't have Peggy Bennett with us in Grand Rapids, Michigan, the most recent site of Donald Trump's um, ir- irrational rant of lies. Um, but we do have uh, we do have Andy Rossing with us from sunny Oakland, California, and uh, we're excited to have him. This week, we're going to have a conversation about the United States. I think we usually have conversations about the United States, but this is this one specifically about the United States, and it's uh, something that Andy's a bit of an expert on. Andy is a longtime bi-coastal expert. He uh, grew up in Philadelphia, moved west for Seattle College, Bellingham for graduate degree, and now Berkeley for his doctorate. And more importantly, he got married last year uh, to a Midwestern bride on the West Coast, and his wedding was in the middle of the Cascade Mountains, a few hours outside Seattle, really close to where I was married, which is really close to where his family's cabin is. And more importantly, the home of the famed July 4th spit roast and get together called Westfest. Uh, so, Andy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, to be clear, John and Andy, because I can't imagine anyone listening to that would be clear. The topic of today's discussion that Andy is the expert on is East Coast versus West Coast. I like keeping it vague. Yeah. Okay. Well, Andy can be vague because he's our guest. You, we expect more from. Well, let me start with that. Yes. Is it versus or and? It's it's a comparative discussion. It's, is it versus well, or versus and? Versus in the sense it is comparative. Yeah, but does that have to be a confrontational thing? It's a comparative discussion of the two. Right, but couldn't that couldn't you use the conjunctive, coordinating conjunction and instead of the the oppositional? Well, and doesn't imply a comparison, but. It, but let's spend the rest of the hour arguing over this point of grammar. <laughs> the means. title of the podcast. <laughs> well, I, I uh... Andy, this is about par for the course. By the yeah, way, yeah, yeah. So. I, I listened to the last episode, <laughs> so. Uh... So you listened to the last. The last episode was relatively, or or the the, the uh, travel one. I listened to the travel one. Oh, the travel one. Oh, okay. Yes. The travel one you... that was actually. One of our better ones, since I said as little as possible. So on that note, I will bow out for the rest of the hour. <laughs> and Andy, you were discussed in the travel one. I, 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 I was informed of that from John. That's how I heard about the podcast in the first place. And did you that, immediately yeah. consult attorneys to see if you had no. grounds for a libel <laughs> or slander? No, did they, you have great. nightmares or flashbacks from that? Uh, well, I didn't have to think back about it and uh, think about what it was like. I didn't know that there was such a relationship dynamics going on as as young as I was. I didn't know that everyone was had gone through such turmoil before <laughs> before that. I thought it was just a Yellowstone trip. <laughs> oh, there's turmoil in this group all the time. No, I, I really didn't know how much he was going through before before that trip. So, how old were you when you went on when this yellow this famed Yellowstone trip? I was fifteen. 15, okay. 16, Yeah. Like well, they yeah. were trying to, you know, your, your father's notorious for trying to keep things from you that he thinks might hurt you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, a different yeah, that's called being a parent, John. <laughs> no, that's how, that's, no, that's called irony. <laughs> so is it fair to say that that episode of the podcast had the uh, effect of destroying some of your childhood illusions? Would that be an accurate summation of what happened? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. I would say... Uh, it was a 
real as I, I had the conversation with my father later after that I knew the extent of it, but I didn't really re- recognize that the timelines didn't match up for that for me. So it wasn't like I had veiled ideas of what, what, it's what also happened. possible that John has completely gotten wrong the timeline and that that wasn't going on in your father's life at the time, but. I think Peggy told that story, but it's very well. She could have gotten it from me because that is okay. how Peggy could have made a mistake too. <laughs> well, frame yes, this debate a little bit. Go ahead, Shelley. I was going to say Peggy is very good with specific details and of things that have happened in our past. And she is details of what's going to happen in the future. That's that's frequently fuzzier a stumbling. On. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's actually a kind of a, an interesting point of the future, which is my proposal for if we're considering a name change for the podcast, shifting towards something that's more nostalgia based because of primarily because of Peggy's interest in it. Yeah, I think that would be. That would definitely appeal to her. You know what? We should not have this discussion now because Andy probably has very well. All right, so let's frame the discussion about East Coast and West Coast. So let's frame the discussion a little bit. Or versus West Coast, or versus depending on how speak the English language, depending on how one wants to, whether one wants to talk, you know, in kind of a positive, accumulative way about the experiences, or whether one one wants to create. But the point is to talk about how they're different, John. Right. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So Andy, what would you when you think about East Coast and West Coast? Give me uh, give me your take. I imagine you have uh, some. You probably have some distinctions you can make politically, environmentally, topographically, geographically. Why don't you just let him give you your your take <laughs> rather than leading the witness, counselor? <laughs> well, for me, I think that uh, there's. I kind of wrote down three main differences for me, which was, I think there's food is a big thing for me, people, and then the extent of travel are the big main differences for me. Um, For food, uh, we can get into this, but I do think that the East Coast has a lot of really, really, really good food, and the West Coast has select really good food. Interesting. <laughs> so you're saying that if, if you're really a foodie, you're saying the East Coast is probably better than the West Coast. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then for people, there's a, I would call it like the spectrum of aggressiveness, which is that the people on the East Coast tend what to do you be call it? more f- spectrum of aggressiveness. Okay. <laughs> so people on the mm-hmm. East Coast are more forward in their aggression and the way that they interact with people. And the people on the West Coast are very passive in the way that they, they interact with people, how they deal with conflicts. So is that, a, is that a nice way of saying that the people on the West Coast are nicer than the people on the East no, Coast? No, I don't think that they're nicer. That's, that's where everyone, I think, gets, gets hung up is that people, everyone thinks some of the people on the West Coast are very laid back and very nice and approachable. And I don't think that's the case at all. You just think they're passive aggressive is what you're saying. Passive aggressive, yes. Interesting. And then the, obviously the extent of travel comes into play with where, how you can move around on the East Coast versus how you can move around on the West Coast for mainly the city centers. So and what does it that takes mean a that lot of effort. it's easier to move from big city to big city on the East Coast because they're closer and yes. there are more of them or what? There's more of them. They're closer. The logistics make more sense. And so there's, a, what I guess, an isolation by distance. The cities on the West Coast are isolated far more than on the East Coast. 
by my biased East Coast ears, that sounds like three advantages to the East Coast. That's what I heard, too. And Shelly is hardly an East Coaster. She's a committed <laughs> middle American. Those yeah, are we're flyover people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that there, there's, there's advantages on the East Coast for those reasons, for sure. Are there any advantages to the West Coast? The va- I mean, it's the big bad West. There's the top topography, natural resources. There's all these things you can see. It's, 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 you can go f- through vast parts of, our, of the landscape of the United States that change drastically, which is you know, stunning in a lot of ways. Um, and I don't think you have that on the East Coast. Per se. So you're living where now, Andy? I live in Oakland. So you're are you I live in Oakland. Are you California. gonna do you anticipate staying there for the long term? No, I do not. I do not plan on staying in the Bay Area, mainly because of the high cost of living, but <laughs> do you anticipate staying on the West Coast for the long term? Yeah, I would say so. I think that that's in the immediate plans to try to stay on the West Coast in some capacity. Whether that's in, back in Washington State, or um, moving away from the coasts and still be in the be in the West. How far away from the coast? Mm, I would go Colorado, but that's a different. Okay. Not Salt know. Lake. Not it's Salt not Lake. really the coast. Colorado, really it the is coast, the West. Though. It's just not the coast. Right? It's not the coast. Yeah. You don't think you'd ever move back east? Um, selectively, like if I had to move back east, I would move to New England or something like that, where I've spent. I did my undergraduate in, at University of Vermont, and so I, the, New England is a soft spot for me because I think it's a, it's more up my, it's my speed in terms of the East Coast. <laughs> well, let's make some distinctions between California and the rest of the West Coast because I think the West Coast isn't really Washington and California. They're so distinct, I, and I feel like you'd make a bright line between those two, right? San Fran- I mean, the Bay Area is very inter- very much like S- Seattle in a lot of ways. How so? Um, I would say the my interactions with the people um, in terms of how people interact, how people make their social networks, um, which is very similar in the sense that they, I, I say they, they, I would say they silo their networks. So um, people will have one friend group and then they'll have another friend group and they don't mix their friend groups. Uh Building your social network is different, or is very similar in Seattle as it has been here in the Bay Area. Is that? Do you think that's due to the to the way people like get around, like the the stereotype of Los Angeles or California being a place you have to drive everywhere to get anywhere? Does that somehow increase? Is that part of the siloing, like the physical way people live, or is it something more psychological? I think it's more psychological, to be honest. Um, yeah, because you weren't talking about Los Angeles specifically when you made that comment. No, I didn't hear Los Angeles. I yeah, Los Angeles. Have you spent much time in Los Angeles? So my cousin lives in Los Angeles, um, and so I've now living in California. Uh, made a, a handful of trips there, but it's an extensive trip to get there by car. It's a six-hour drive, um, so it's not. It's it, it's a it's a haul. Um, it's a lot easier to fly, and then. It, if you're going to fly, maybe don't go to Los Angeles. <laughs> Andy, when I was in college, which was, you know, literally 100 years ago, uh, th- I remember having many discussions from folks who were from the West Coast about what they perceived to be the big difference between Northern California and Southern California. 
Do you have a sense of that or do you think there is a big difference between the two? Oh yeah, I definitely do. I definitely think that there's you, when you get into Southern California, you know, you're in Southern California. Um, it's just the way that people, the, it, the vibe of the city, it's always sunny. It's not always sunny here. Um, the, in, well, the weather is an obvious weather is obviously uh, but, difference, but it does infect the way that people act. I think, um, in sense that in what way that if there's uh, more like the the laid back vibe of California, I feel like I get in in uh, like it's a, a fairy tale land of Southern California where where everyone is just you know doing what they have free free freedom all over the place. Um, it's not the same as as, as uh, Northern California to me. <laughs> So in other words, you're, yeah, you view LA authoritarian as state being the Bay Area. At, like you have the East Coast, which is one way, the way you've described. You have the West Coast, but then like LA is almost like a different third yes. option from the yeah, other two. I would, I agree with that for sure. <laughs> See, I have to tell you, in my dream, I would move to Southern California and be there for the rest of my life, but. You know, that's probably not going to happen, but that's my, in my head, that would be great. I do love cities and LA is not really a conventional city, but the weather, especially as I get older, the weather becomes more of a factor. Uh, you know, the warm weather becomes more of a factor for me. And uh, now the thing is, I don't really mind driving, but as I get older, that becomes, so that sort of pushes against LA a bit, the driving thing, but you know, we'll see. Maybe I'll uh, move with one of my children and they can drive me around. So pretty soon yeah. it's going to be all Uber all the time. <laughs> Believe me, nobody's going to have a car in 10 years. No, that is completely not true. And if I'm still alive in 10 years, yeah. I'd like to collect on that bet. Did you see the Kara Swisher article in the New York Times about this a couple of weeks ago? It was great. She basically lays it out, and it's 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 like the the, the data is overwhelming. It's going to happen. There may not be any passenger cars in within, say, Manhattan, or within certain downtown blocks and places like Chicago and Boston. But there will be passenger cars in the United States. And there will be passenger cars in Southern California. So, Andy, if people who have never lived in the Bay Area or maybe people who have never lived on the West Coast, if they go through their whole lives having never lived there, what would they be missing? That's a good question. I do think I think they 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 miss the like this is my perspective of being someone who likes the outdoors is they 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 miss the, the vast expanses of the United States for sure. And the way that these cities do feel smaller, right? When you're, except, honestly, the exception is LA, where um, Portland and San, and San Francisco and Seattle definitely do have this smaller city feel. And um, I think that that's, that's just different than, than living in a place like New York or Boston or Philadelphia. Um, and the sprawl that happens is not the same. You can very quickly, especially in Seattle, be in the middle of these huge mountains and the, your, your scenery is completely different. Um, and I, I think that that's important too. Um, and then socially, um, more, more politically, this, the states here are these, you know, really big blue hot spots of progressiveness and then very quickly, very, very red. 
And so that dichotomy of how you engage with the people in your state is very different um, than, you know, say a, an all blue state on the East Coast. Because what you're saying is there's more there's more of a rural component to each one of the three states, Washington, Oregon and California, yeah. whereas in the East Coast, there are states that l that almost have no uh, rural component to them. I mean, there are some, you know, there are certain parts of Pennsylvania that are fairly rural yeah. and some parts of New York that are fairly rural. But there are a lot of states in the East Coast that are pretty much not rural at all. Right. And well, and that has to do with the proximity of these large urban city centers um, that they abut each other. So there's these expanses of, you know, right. progressive cities, progressive urban environments versus here. They're, they're really isolated city centers. How about food-wise? What would people miss? What would people miss? Yeah, if they never lived on the West Coast, you were just you were saying one of your top threes distinctions was food. So I'm curious if people didn't live on the West Coast, what would they be missing food-wise? No, it's the other way around. The East Coast has better food. John. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm or maybe I, maybe then I should say what bad would they experience if they moved to the West Coast? I'm just saying in terms of food, what would distinguish it? I mean, it's for me. It's because oh, I grew up Italian, so it's always been Italian food. Every time I come to a city, it's been like not <laughs> not the Italian food that I, I, I remember going to all the different cities on the East Coast. So pizza is just like, pizza and bagels is just like. So have you been to Olivetto's? Is Olivetto's still uh, in I, Oakland? I haven't heard of it, no. But I'm sure it's here. But but also the the, the, the accessibility to to, to like a, a, good, a good slice of pizza or a bagel. It's like, here it's like almost artisan. It's like you have to spend an arm and a leg to get something that's even close to something you would get on the East Coast. Well, let's flip it around. How about the uh, how about East Coast? People who have lived on the West Coast or people who have lived in the Midwest, maybe, or the mountain region of the U.S. and have never lived on the East Coast. If they if they go to their grave having never lived on the East Coast, what will they have missed? <laughs> Anxiety. <laughs> Jim, you don't get to answer this. <laughs> Is this a question for me? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. They will miss the the speed at which things happen for me in these cities, the speed at which things happen in New York and Philadelphia and Boston and DC is just, it's at a, it's at a different clip for sure. Um, and uh, the culture is, is, is overwhelming in, in, in those places too, in terms of the types of people you meet and the, you know, when you feel like you're on, when I'm on the East coast, I feel like I'm at the epicenter of culture in the United States. So, but that's also Maybe because I grew up there. So there's a little bit of a, a childhood versus adulthood <laughs> spectrum to that answer. Are you implying also that in the West Coast, people are more like each other and less diversity compared to what you would say in New York and yeah, Philly and Chicago? I, I definitely. I mean, although as you move north to south, things get, get increasingly more diverse. I mean... Uh, the Bay Area is, is becoming more diverse, but it's also right now becoming, it ha has been diverse and is becoming more and more homogenized. I don't know if that's the case for LA. Well, homogenized certainly economically because of the costs involved. Well, also, you know, uh, in terms of different races that are here. I mean, there was a study that came out in Axios last week that basically said that half of the African-American population in San Francisco has been lost. So mm -hmm. there's, it's, there is homogenization in terms of that. Yeah, sure. It's just become hyper wealthy in San Francisco for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. And they and I forget what year it was, but it was not it was X number of years ago where they got rid of I remember I remember reading articles about how they got rid of rent control in San Francisco and how everybody was like, Oh, this is the end of the San Francisco we know that's diverse economically. But I have to think that even if they hadn't done that, the the forces of money coming out of that area are so overwhelming that it was gonna it was doomed anyway to 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 kind of become less diverse economically. Yeah. And this is maybe a question for for you guys, but the thing that I've also seen as I've lived in Seattle and the Bay Area, I'm talking to people in Portland, is that the people that have lived in those cities for, you know, 30 years when it was this, you know, diversity, there wasn't a huge boom of, or influx of people moving to those places, is that they all talk about a loss of the identity of these cities and these city centers. And I don't know if that's the case on the East Coast as much. Yeah, they say the same thing in New York, for sure. Okay. I didn't know. I don't know about every other city, but absolutely everybody talks about that. I mean, to some, in my opinion, some of this is just false nostalgia, you know, and it's just the the inbred human resistance to change. Nobody wants the thing they're used to to be different, and it's always being different. I mean, the thing about cities is that they're going through they're always going through some sort of change sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse but they're always going through some sort of change and uh you know the east coast cities were dying a few years ago relatively speaking and now they're having this boom and one of the effects of the boom is that you know you have all the you know things become more expensive and you know that has effects, so it's not a it's not a unmixed bag. Uh, but on the same token, do people want to go back to when you know people didn't want to live in the cities because it was full of poverty and crime and everything? I mean, how do you? It's a question of how you manage the change, and it's 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 a it's very difficult to do. There's no simple solutions mm-hmm. to those problems, and it's it may not even be solvable at all. But uh, but yes, for sure, people say the same thing about New York. Okay, uh, probably less so about other cities on the East Coast, but more, but definitely so about New York. You hear that all the time. In fact, some of this anti-Amazon stuff that resulted in Amazon deciding not to go to New York is just fully rooted in this delusional uh, sort of view that there was some sort of perfect past of New York or something, and. Uh, there is not. There's not a perfect pass for any place or any person for that matter. I have this perception and I wondered if you could maybe clear it up. I have this perception that there are more transplants to the West Coast, people that aren't native, that have, you know, from the Midwest or wherever that decided they want the West Coast life compared to East Coast, people in the East Coast you know, there's some transplants, but yeah. I feel like that more people in the East Coast grew up there, live there, stay there, and then more mm. people migrate to the West Coast. Is you know, is is that true, or is that just my silly? I thing? guess that's was kind of what I was getting at a little bit. Is that I feel like there is a lot of transplants, and a lot of people talk about transplants here. And any see, they talked about transplants in Seattle. They talked about it here. They talk about it in portland from the friends that i have that live there so i definitely feel that way but again i don't know if this is the timing of my life is (laughs) right where 
I moved there when everyone in my generation would become a transplant as opposed to staying. Okay. So, and that would make sense to the feeling of the loss of identity for those cities. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what, that was the conversations with the people that have lived in Seattle for their entire life. And they, they're like, I only know people that are transplants. I don't even know anybody that's here anymore. So. I feel like Seattle's really taken off more recently than like California, where the stere- the stereotype in my head is that California kind of took off. I don't know, you know, the the, the big the the, where, the the time when you would walk around and talk to everybody, and everybody was an East Coast transplant to LA was like, you know, in the seventies or something. But you feel like I feel like Seattle that it was in the nineties or even in the early noughts. But it's right. uh, it 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 still is. I mean, I think. Our, the demographics are clear on this, right? The entire United States is moving to the sun. Yeah. So whether it's yeah. south or east or west. Yeah, somewhere. They're going yeah. somewhere. <laughs> They're definitely not coming to places like cold and snowy. But it's also not true that most of the big cities of the East Coast have seen an influx that, 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 that have reversed. Most of them, not all of them, have reversed the, the loss from the suburbs people are moving back from the suburbs into the that's that's not to deny that you're generally correct that the the sun belt states broadly speaking are getting the greatest growth but it's also true that the bigger cities are getting in in many cases in the east are getting people moving back into the city which is one of the phenomenons of the last 20 years or so which is one of the things that's creating some of this economic uh displacement because people are moving back into the cities. I have a story related to the the issue, just brief story. About 20 years ago, there's a friend of mine who I knew, she lived in New York and I lived in DC and so but she was from California, she's from Berkeley. And so at one point we were on a trip and we were back in Berkeley and you know, it's a we're in a car and we're driving down the road. And it's, you know, you know, one of the beautiful days and the trees and everything. And I turned to her and I said, I don't understand how you would ever leave this. <laughs> and that's there is something to be said for the physical. Uh, and I'm not an outdoor person. I'm the exact whatever the extreme of not being an outdoor person is. I am it. But there is something to be said just for the physical presence of the West Coast as the allure and why I can't imagine why people would leave it and why I think a lot of people are attracted to it. Yeah, I mean, at baseline, the Bay Area is an extremely attractive place. Like if, you know, if you if you swiped away the cost of buying a home here, wiped away the, you know, the the types of types of people you'd want to interact with just the fact that it sits in this beautiful bay on the ocean and it's surrounded by mountains it's hard and the, it's 65 degrees all the time <laughs> it's hard not to right. except in right. evening when it gets a little chilly on, right but so. you know i it's funny when people say it's chilly here because it's not <laughs> right in the grand scheme of everything <laughs> well it's not chilly like chicago yeah. chilly or yeah. like new york or boston right. or philadelphia but it gets really cold during the winter on the other hand there's probably more nights like during the summer where it actually gets chilly in San Francisco or Oakland than it does on the East Coast for sure. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So I take it from what you're saying is that the economic 
displacement that's causing, you know, housing to be very expensive in San Francisco is also playing out for Berkeley and Oakland as well, right? Yeah, I guess I would just, I, when I say that, I say that everywhere now because it's just, it's rampant across the whole Bay Area. There's not a cheap place to live in the Bay Area. Um, you know, relatively, I live in the East, on the East Bay in Oakland and Berkeley area. Um, and it's cheaper than living in San Francisco, but it's all, it's all on the scale of the most expensive place to live in the world. <laughs> well, that's my question is how much of all this is driven purely by economics versus something else? I mean, I think there probably was a time where my impression of after, after Jim made his recommendation about Joan Didion's writing about California a couple times ago, and I revisited a couple of those essays, I started to think to myself, there was a time when people moved for the weather. And I know that's part of it, but I have to think now, certainly with the Bay Area, it's an economic driver, at least as much as it's a weather driver. John, I think it's very hard to completely unwrap those things and to isolate those variables because certainly economics, to say economics plays no part would be foolish. But it's also true that economic, quote, economic decision making isn't you know, just a matter of numbers crunching. Economic decision-making is influenced by these cultural and social issues as well. And part of the reason why companies locate, some of it is accidental sometimes, but also true, the companies choose to be in certain places because that's where they can find the people they want to find and, and people go there because they can find the job. So there's some ways in which these things are very intertwined and it's very difficult to say, well, economics drives it. Certainly economics is a drive, is a driver. But to say it's, I think it's very difficult to allocate how much that factor standing alone drives these things. I mean, it's no doubt that the one of the major drivers of the economy in the United States right now is technology. And it just happens to be that Silicon Valley was this place that exploded. And so everyone in my generation wants to, if they want to be in tech, they want to be here. Or now they want to be in Portland or they want to be in, in Seattle. So I don't know if that's an explanation for it, but it's definitely a, a major driver for why these places are becoming extremely popular to live in. Oh, it's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you can also make the argument that why did they, those tech places started there, but they didn't have to stay there and they chose to stay there. Yeah. I mean, but it couldn't have been anywhere. Like, right. Right. Well, once it's, once it started, they look, if you're Bill Gates and you have all this money and you say, I want to move the company to wherever I want to move it. People will move with you because you, they want the money, right? I mean, that's the economic argument, right? But partially the argument is that even if he moves the company, because there's non-economic factors, some people would say, I don't care about the money. I want to stay here, right? Yeah. I mean, I do think that there, there's people that are in the tech industry here that talk about how they can't have their they, – they aren't building their technology in, or they're not building their technology startup company here. They're going to go build it in some smaller, smaller city away from Silicon Valley because it's too too expensive for them to live now. They can't recruit. They can't recruit some people because they can't recruit. So that's price. an opportunity for someplace yeah. else to say, let's 
figure out how we can be the new incubator right. for tech firms. Right. I know at least three companies that are pretending to be in Silicon Valley, but are based in Arizona. They have like Silicon Valley phone numbers and like addresses and they have like a space there. <laughs> so they have it, they have it for the cachet. Yeah, they have it for the cachet. And I'm sure that's true with, a, I'm sure that's true with a lot of, a lot of companies, a lot of things that doesn't, it, you know, where now where especially with tech, you can be almost anywhere doing things that they're going to go to the places that are lower tax. Frankly, I mean, California is what charging ten yeah. percent or ten and a half percent income tax compared to other states. Well, but it's not just the tax, right? It, it's probably cheaper, relatively speaking, to find a house in Phoenix, say, than it is in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. or even probably in Seattle. Yeah, I heard on Death, Sex, and Money there was a, a guy who was a engineer for like I don't know, it was like eBay or something, you know, like a big company in the Bay Area, and he lived he lived in Denver. And flew in, <laughs> and flew into work in the Bay Area. I mean, it was like, and he drove, and I think he, I think he was driving Lyft or Uber or something to make extra money in the Bay Area. It was super. It was a super wild, like where you live story. But I'm sure it's true, and I'm sure that Amazon, when it first moved to Seattle, moved there because it was cheaper than wherever else it could be. And quite frankly, now that Amazon can be anywhere they want, they're like, screw it, let's go to New York, and you mm-hmm. know, New York should t- turn them away. But now they can go anywhere. But when when Bezos started, I don't think there's any question. He was going to, to Washington to kind of avoid the taxes of other places. Yeah, I don't know if the taxing. I don't know that Washington is a particularly low tax state, by the way. But um, it's got to be lower than California. Yeah, there's. I mean, it's just yeah. got to be. <laughs> there's absolutely no mean? question about that. Yeah. Well, for years, California had the the low property taxes because of the referendum, and then uh, that was fine. A friend of mine told me they had to pay 10.5% income tax. I don't know if that sounds right to you, Andy, or if you even, I don't know, but I mean, I've heard 10.5%. Yeah, I think there's an enormous amount of tax on your income here, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maryland's pretty just, high by that yeah. standard, too, by the way. But I think Maryland has high property taxes, right? No, no, but, Maryland has high income. Maryland has high income taxes. As much as I'm not a big fan of Peter Thiel and his, you know, and his, uh, and and how I feel like he occasionally sells out gay people. I mean, he makes some pretty, he's made some pretty aggressive arguments about how California is not welcoming, truly welcoming to entrepreneurs because you can't, you just can't afford to be there. It's just, it's so expensive. And I, I hear that from a lot of people. I don't think that's, I mean, I don't think it's totally unreasonable to assume. But it's you know, John, you you argue contradictorily because on the one hand. You, you're concerned about uh, all these things that crowd people out. On the other hand, then you're arguing against taxes because taxes are how you pay for the services that allow Yeah, I'm not anti-taxes. I'm pro-taxes. I mean, I'm, I'm functionally, a, you know, I'm a, I'm a recovering Catholic socialist. So I'm, you know, the, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with, I mean, no idea what that I'm is. fine with government taxing. I, I was just, I'm putting out a reality. I would say, John, that I have no idea what that meant, recovering Catholic socialists. But even though not, I don't understand any of it, I would dispute whether you're actually recovering from anything or have That's ever true. recovered I'm, from I'm deep in, That's true. I'm deep in the flush of what I am. It's kind of great. I am me full time. Andy, let me ask you another question. So t- talk about – so you, you talked sure. about the – I want to talk a little bit more about either uh, – about your three your three areas. Um, let's talk about the people. Um, mm-hmm. what, what do you – and, and yeah. maybe about civic culture a little bit. How do you feel civic culture differs in on the West Coast and on the East Coast? Um, can you expand on what you mean by that? Well, I mean, part of it, I suppose, is straight up how people 
organize themselves in communities differently. Um, mm. You know, and I suppose part of it's politics, uh, you know, Kamala Harris coming out of California, who's coming out of the, I don't know, yeah. Biden's coming out. I don't know, part of it's politics. But I think it's, for me, it's more about like, on a, in a, you know, in how you live your life. And maybe you could just talk about it in terms of yourself. Like, how, how do you, how do you see people organizing themselves and their communities differently? I mean, from a very, like, at the very baseline of how people are socially like build their social networks here is a very different way than I've ever, ever experienced growing up on the East coast. I mean, for example, um, this is sort of what I would call like the, the siloing of these social networks is, um, and some people in Seattle call this the Seattle freeze. Um, Interesting. But people, so if I am friends with John and John is friends with Shelly on the East coast, John would obviously say, oh, Shelly and Andy would get along. Let's, you know, grab a beer at the bar. Mm-hmm. And that would be a connection made. Mm-hmm. And On the true. West Coast, if Shelly was in the biking club and I was in, you know, the birding club, and John was a part of those two networks, those would just be separated. Those would be my birding people. Those would be my biking people. Mm-hmm. And it would be very rare for those people to mix, regardless of how well they think they would get along. And it's very hard to break that down when you get into social interactions with people or so building your social networks out here. Um, so I found it, it's called a Seattle freeze because a lot of people want to just, will just freeze up to having those, those interactions. Um, and so, so sometimes it takes people like me from the East Coast transplants to just say, this isn't how I make my friends. <laughs> so um, that's, that's been my experience at that level. Um, so if you had a group of, if you had a party or something mm-hmm. and you wanted to invite people, you would need to make a decision to invite just the biker people or could you invite both and then they mingle or would so it, they would come? So for me, it's completely foreign to me, just this, <laughs> yeah. this way of, that people do things. Because if I had a party, I would invite Andy's a hub. And right. It would just be all, it would just be anybody. But you're saying there are people that would basically say, I'm just going to invite the birdie yes. people. Yes. Would there would the birding people not come if they knew biking people were there? Like people they don't think they'd get have anything in common? I haven't experienced that. I've ex- I've found that people are just like will be pleasantly surprised when all of a sudden they meet other people, which is seems oh. wild, but So in other words, it's it's almost like it's preemptive. People don't even want to take the chance that they might get along. They want to just... Yeah, or it's subconscious the way that the, the things are happening, that they that that's the way that they've just always built social networks. Um, and I build that... People on the East Coast build them differently, I think. Or most of the country actually built it differently. <laughs> I was going to say, would Shelley, were you trying to say that that's also true in your part of the country, Shelley, that it's different than that? It's not as well, I, silent? Well, I, I think there are some... Like, when I moved back here to Indianapolis, there are definitely people that have siloed friendships um, with people that they know. But I frequently have a major, I have parties and I have a major Halloween party and I intentionally bring the people I work with or volunteer with at the horse farm, my neighborhood, my family, my friends all come. And it's, and I've done that for years and it's fun to see and have watched these people have these interactions when they come from different backgrounds, different education, different exposure. And then they really, and they've made connections beyond um, mm-hmm. that initial party. Um, so, but I've never had somebody say, 
and maybe they thought it, but they never shared it. I'm not coming because you're having horse people there and I have nothing to say to horse people, you know? (laughs) But I just wondered if, if, um, they're so siloed that they just don't even expose themselves to that. Like they're kind of Yeah, I think it's been that. And I've been on the other side where it's like, I won't get invited to an event because I'm not part of that group, if that makes sense. Which is you're not one of the birds. Yeah. And it's, it's very interesting to me. So, um, but I don't know if that answered your question. Well, how about a couple other components of civic culture, like volunteering or donating money to public causes or even church? Well, I don't see that at, I, I'm not a part of that community here, so like, in terms of church or and people, do like people that, talk but, more about it there than um, they do in the East Coast, or is that that's I mean all the, that's a, those like I'm thinking about other places where people might other than work bump into each other in a social forum or be connected with their communities. Yeah, I mean people are definitely connected, are involved in the communities here than I expected, um, but I'm also again this is a little bit of timing of my life where I don't know if I would have been like that in New York or Boston or something like that um, in terms of how much I would volunteer or, or give or, or be a part of that. But it's definitely huge. It's definitely a huge component to living in the, the Bay area. Like everyone is involved or knows what's going on in, on the issues on the ground. Um, and I think that that's definitely a component to the, to the identity of, of who people are here. So Andy, this was great. I don't know if John told you, but now is the time on our podcast where we do recommendations. Oh, yeah, okay. so we end every podcast with everybody makes a recommendation, and it can be anything. Uh, you know, Peggy usually recommends whatever she's been watching on Netflix uh, or somewhere she's traveled to recently. Which is usually the same thing every podcast. <laughs> but lately, okay. she's been recommending, like, one of the things you can recommend is a place if you want to recommend a place to visit or a place to travel to or something like that. That's a possibility. Mm, okay. It could be I anything under the sun. But we'll let you go last. Okay. Because you need time to think about it. Who would like to start this? I'll go first. Okay, you go, Shell. I stumbled upon um, a funny podcast because I was feeling a little blue and I wanted to um, have some comedians, I don't know cheer me up. And I stumbled upon this podcast called You Made It Weird. And um, the person who leads it is his name is Pete Holmes. And it's about um, kind of the tagline is like, everybody has some kind of secret weirdness or secret thing that they do. And he talks to these comedians to share whatever their weirdness might be. And it's, it's really funny. And so they'll have people on there, like Craig Ferguson has been on there. Um, Adam McKay was in um, mm. Step Brothers and Anchorman. And I think he was in the director of Vice. Vice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, and they're about an hour, a little over an hour each um, episode. And this has been around for about, five or six years and I just stumbled upon it uh, yesterday actually and I just listened to a couple of them and it's it's hilarious. It's explicit but it's hilarious. The two are not mutually exclusive. It can be explicit and hilarious. Yeah, usually those are the one things that I find the most hilarious when they're explicit. (laughs) Well, that says something about you. My secret weirdness. (laughs) Uh, So my recommendation is that everybody should have a Bialetti in their house. I don't know if you know what a Bialetti is. I don't know what a Bialetti is. So Bialetti is a Italian 
coffee maker. It's a like a steel. It looks like two cones. One is like pointing up, and one's pointing down on top of each other. And it's a way to make like it's a way. It's such a simple little device, and I've used it. I've actually lit one on fire. I lit I lit a picnic okay. table on so fire when you say one time. Everybody should have one. What about people who don't drink coffee? Well, everybody should drink coffee. You're recommending <laughs> drink coffee because of the positive health effects of. Oh, absolutely, coffee. for sure. I agree with that. But I, on top of it, I think that one should drink it, be a Letty version of it, because it's just a great way to have coffee. And if you haven't tried one, you know they're 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 you know they're in they're completely indestructible. They last forever. You can take it around the world with you, which I've done. And uh, and I it's one of my it's one of my favorite devices for home that it, that that transcends time and place. So. Uh, we're recording this on March 31st, and on this date, well, it's April, it's, it's April Fool's Day where I am. Yes, well, in 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 the United States, it's March 31st, and on this date, in the New York Times, Jay Hoberman, who's the former film critic of the Village Voice, who now writes pieces for the Times, uh, has written an article in appreciation of an old movie that came out in 1954, starring Humphrey Bogart, called "Beat the Devil." It's a classic cult film because it was not well received when it came out. But then when the Bogart uh, revival came in the late 50s and early 60s, it, it got some play. But it's not as well known as his movies like The Maltese Falcon and Casablanca, Treasure of the Sierra Madre and The African Queen, The Big Sleep and so forth and so on. It's a gem because what it is is, is in some ways it's a parody of movies like Casablanca and the Maltese Falcon and the Treasure of the Sierra Madre, played straight, but uh, for laughs, directed by John Huston with a script by Truman Capote, of all people. Cool. Is that the, is that the definition of a cult classic, Jim? Hmm. What? The way you defined it. Well, I didn't define it, but it, it's a it's a movie that is not a mainstream successful movie, but then subsequently developed a cult following. And we can talk about what a cult following is, but it's not a, but it's it's the kind of movie. For example, during the Bogart craze, when Bogart had a big revival in popularity yeah. after his death, nearly sixties, uh, which is generally attributed to having started in Cambridge, but spread throughout, especially among college students. That was the kind of movie that, because it wasn't as well known as other movies, the real aficionados latched onto. It's a great movie. Cool. It's a terrific movie. Great. It's available on one of the streaming services. I'm not sure which one. It has some fine supporting performances, and it's very, very fun. Sounds great. So that's my record. Love it. Andy, what do you got for us? Andy, you're up, baby, buddy. Okay. All right. All right. Um, so this is timely. Um, so I would recommend – this is a place. I would recommend everyone, when there is a super bloom, to come to California. Yes. <laughs> Because right now we are in the midst of a massive super bloom of wildflowers in the deserts and grasslands of the California. And what a super bloom is, is these when we've gotten a large rain event throughout the winter, these places that are usually don't get a lot of rain um, have these massive blooms of wildflowers of different kinds that are native to California. And they're expansive and can be seen from space and... They're really, really magical. Um, and so if you know that there's a lot of rain coming, maybe plan a some spring break trip out to California if you can. Um, and I will say that I, we went 
last weekend and camped in Carrizo Plain National Monument, which is which is Bureau of Land Management land, which means you can camp pretty much anywhere. Um, and we were in these magical, huge acres of, of wildflowers, um, one of which was can be seen from space. So that was my that would be my recommendation. Is it going to be a drought year in California? Uh, no, no, we're going to have a lot of. Be ready okay. to see landslides okay. coming in California. <laughs> Rather the landslides than the fires, so. I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we were, we were, I think, at 100% snowpack Good. in the Sierras within like two Good. weeks of the winter, which means it's we're at Good. over that. So, all right, Shelly, take yeah. us home. Well, that's all the time we have for this fortnight's podcast. So to close out, first and foremost, we'd like to thank you our listeners. Um, But most importantly, we also would like to thank our very, very special guest, Andy Rothstein, for joining us. Uh, We also have big thank yous for Mary Heinz for the production and Ted Enley for the music. If you like the podcast and have a few seconds to rate us in iTunes, that helps us enormously. You could also write a review. That helps even more. We also really love um, any kinds of comments and questions and uh, live uh, emails. You can tweet at us at uh, Two Guys in Search. Send us messages in Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Tumblr, or Gmail at Two Guys in Search at gmail.com, all smushed together. <laughs> Um, you can tell Siri, Alexa, Google Assistant to play our podcast, and you can talk to your favorite smart device and ask it to subscribe. Um, you can subscribe to Which us. Which is creepy and cool. Yeah, right. I think I said this, but uh, we love the voice memos, or I said it um, in a different way. So record your voice any way you like. Send it to us. We love corrections, the complaints, um, ideas, comments. And be sure to join us again in two weeks for more news chattering talk and have a good fortnight. Thanks again for Andy Rothstein. Thank you. Can I add one thing, which is between the time we are taping this yeah. and when this art is going to drop, yeah. I will be going to and from Shanghai. Yep. So hopefully on the next podcast, You'll be I'll alive. be able to report that I am not <laughs> locked in a Chinese prison camp. That would suck. That's my hope. That would really suck. That would suck. Well, we'll somehow get a recording device to you. I know, because the most important thing is that I be able to record even if I'm still in a Chinese prison camp. Absolutely. All right. Two weeks. Hopefully I'm alive. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Bye.